0: Welcome back and happy new year.
1: Yeah, it's a little later than new year, but it's new year for us now because we took our break and now we're back. Uh, It was a busy holiday season, you know, we gotta have a little time off.
0: And usually we have Bro on for the list, but we had to ban him from the podcast after Jack Frost.
1: Yeah, that's, it was uh, chaotic. I'm surprised we managed to cobble together ourselves and come back at all. If you wondered why we took a break at all, it's just because of that train wreck. It broke us. It it was really kind of hard to get through after that. We considered closing down the site.
0: (laughs) We did close it down, and then we put it back up at least three times. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I don't think anyone noticed, but it was actually... We were offline a couple times. Uh, It was a very emotional time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: But really, we had like over a year of publishing every publishing day, and we all needed a break.
1: Well, it's just hard as well. I think everyone kind of... Takes generally the holidays off. We're all kind of busy. uh You know, I I kind of had to frantically run around. I had to go home for the holidays as well, and I couldn't do anything productive in that time. Yeah, I mean the movies that are coming
0: out around that time, we've kind of already gotten to. We've already got a sense of them. Yeah, uh- especially this year, I've been getting the screeners. And it's kind of like well. I've seen everything there is to review already, and I don't really have any pressing concern.
1: There's a couple of things that we still have coming that people had to see over the holidays, because, of course, we had some big-name releases come out right at Christmas, like uh, Laura's got her Little Women review coming soon that I know we're looking forward to. Sure. Uh.
0: Um... But yeah, we got Little Women, we have Watchmen that was written over the holiday, what else do we have? We have a big documentary feature the day before this goes up. Right, uh,
1: well we have all our 2019 uh, recap stuff, that's what this is here today, we're finally getting to our best of 2019. A lot of people put theirs out before the year's over, but we don't like to do that. Yeah, we, we like to wait at least like
0: halfway through the year and then decide what the last year was, so... <laughs>
1: But yeah, it's. Uh, I'm. I'm glad to finally. Uh, we're here in 2020. We're glad to look forward to a new decade of movies, uh, and of course, we'll have that to look forward to as well. We'll do our 2010s recap next month. Because uh, now, did you we, make any?
0: Did you make any resolutions
1: this year? Resolutions, like regular resolutions. I know I did a. I kind of mentioned a couple of movie resolution things. Like there's a couple of director filmographies I intend to to round out this year because uh, I like going through and completing that uh i I say the same resolution for movies every year and that I want to go out to the theater more and i and I kind of do I did some statistics I put them up on Twitter. I went out to the theater like twenty four times this year, which uh is like a fraction of what you did but it's i can't I can't really count <laughs> no. it's it would be hard for you i think to count you'd, you'd spend the whole afternoon doing it going through, but
0: at least. 60 70 times i'd say
1: right and then you have another whole 60 70 movies you knew this year you streamed (laughs) right (laughs) that's just 2019 Um, movies that's not even all the the classics and stuff we've talked about here that we rewatched everything
0: i've decided on my resolution for 2020 What's that? I'm going to be in 4K.
1: 4K? <laughs>
0: that's, that's a resolution. <laughs>
1: uh, you
0: know what I mean? Yeah, I
1: got you. Those...
0: I want to watch some real old stuff this year. Like I want to start with more beginning uh, cinema history stuff that I've really missed out on. Uh, I'm watching all the James Bond films as well before No Time to Die. Um, go play around in some genres I'm not familiar with. Uh, I just went to Scarecrow. Uh, For the first time. I, I'm really going to... Yeah, I'm really going to exploit that for the year and find some weird stuff.
1: Yeah, that's been the exciting thing. I know when you were down here, I took you to the the Portland movie rental store, which is this Movie Madness, and I t- really cool place. And I remembered that Scarecrow existed in Seattle. I've been I, like I passed it a couple times when going through, but never actually went to it. And I'm like, and I asked you about it one time, what it's like, and you're like, oh, I don't know, I, I didn't know about this place too much. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think I went there when I was much younger, and I don't—I didn't really have any memories. Maybe as a teenager, but uh, yeah, it has the largest physical collection of movie media, so that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> it has two floors of movie, a lot of different spaces. Uh, right. I mostly hung out in like the. Yellow and spaghetti Western spaces, which is
1: uh, Eurocentric interest I guess. I think that was kind of crazy when you showed me the pictures and everything. Like, I think I remembered that it was two floors, but seeing it, I was kind of still taken aback by it because I mean, I thought my place was at a huge selection, and it totally does. And uh, it does, yeah. And it's a great place. There's not a single film that I've looked for that I haven't been able to find there. Uh, There's been a couple times where it's only been like a VHS copy, but like that's yeah, still, it's an incredible resource.
0: I found great finds, like a, I found a Midget Madness of Wrestling on VHS. <laughs> did you um, Did you watch it? Well, it said it, it needed certain approval, so I don't know if they need to approve people for VHSs, but uh, once I get the approval, I'll be all about it. it. It has the tagline, The Lighter Side of Midget Wrestling, which sounds really interesting.
1: Yeah, interesting. What's the heavier side like?
0: You don't want to know. <laughs>
1: well, That's in the... Horror exploitation genre. I'm I'm, Yikes. I'm excited that you've got this resource near you as well. If anyone out there has a a local movie place, a rental place that's still functioning, uh, you know, I encourage them to support it by all means. Because streaming is by no means the end all be all of movie availability. There. Well, no,
0: I mean, you go into a place like like your what is it called, Movie Madness, right. and you start realizing there's there's so much that you're just not going to be presented. Um, that the streaming services will present what they want you to see. Like, like we have Criterion, right, which is write down our interest, but what they show you is just like a sliver of what's really there anyway.
1: Well, it's, and it's all a matter of what they can get their hands on as well. It's not always, uh, you know, yeah. easy. I mean, you've got issues like with where there's some streaming sites like Netflix and, you know... Uh I'll say Apple as well and whatnot. Like they're not gonna show you older stuff necessarily. Especially with like no. Netflix. They have a small library of classics that they'll they'll show, but usually not something before nineteen seventy five
0: it's constantly decreasing as they have new
1: content that they're making yeah the criterion channel is such a godsend of old curated content uh and it's a really great service for that as well as something like tcm but uh you know it's not again it's not going to have everything and it's not always going to have what you're immediately interested in you know so if if i catch something and i'm like oh i'm really interested in going down this avenue more for like example uh you know the criterion channel brought me a new interest in fred astaire films this last year Mm -hmm. and so i've been hunting them down now at my rental place and watching as many of them as i can find and they have a very a great deal many and that's been a, a wonderful joy for me
0: i just think for such peculiar interest like amazon has a lot of westerns but they're all really bad quality right like going to a store and seeing like a whole shelf full of westerns is like an untapped potential that you do not have at all on streaming um you don't have any of the access to a
1: good quality copy of any of these movies and and that's not to say that they'll necessarily be pristine qualities in all these places because a lot of those films in particular they they don't have good restorations in general no, a lot of them are just like DVD Rs, and you yeah. know, for the westerns, it's not it's not going to be Blu Ray. But just the fact that they're available at all is wonderful. And th- then there is still like these places will go out of their way to get the prestige releases and the highest qualities that that come out all the time. You know, uh, collecting just recently, and I've, as I've been building my collection, I've found how valuable that resource is, and and how wonderful it is to see a film restored properly
0: so if you're down in portland we strongly recommend movie madness and in seattle scarecrow they're they're infinite resources if you love movies
1: Mm -hmm. and again encouraged to find your own uh if you have any close to you if you do please please support them because they need them now more than ever
0: please let us know too if you have any near you we'd like to hear about it yeah um well well we had at least 10 movies come out in 2019
1: yeah we did Well of course we had more than that you would know because you saw (laughs) a hundred million of them yeah, but but out of those,
0: there are ten that were good. Yes. That were worth talking about today.
1: I'd say uh, there's more than ten, but we're going to limit it to ten, because uh, we don't have all day, I guess is the issue.
0: Well, uh, we all went through our lists and built something like top ten or top favorite lists, however many were on each. I, th- I think I, I had, like, had, three myself. Yeah, you had <laughs> top three lists for the year, and we had deliberations throughout the staff uh we rate them all. Um, I'm, I'm I'm excited about what we have.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm very excited here. I think it's a very good list. Uh, I've seen at least half of the list, and so I think that's an accomplishment for myself. I'm at <laughs> nine out of ten on our list. That's good, and it, that means that we'll be able to talk about these very easily and have some context. Minus one in particular, because neither of those saw, uh, neither of us saw that one, but uh, we can sort of talk about it because we've seen something related to i mean we have we have minimal context on this film (laughs) should we start with ten? sure since that's the one we're referring to here uh our number 10 for the best of 2019 we've nominated uh, for our final slot here is deadwood the deadwood movie that came out this year from hbo
0: It had been a long wait since the last episode of Deadwood, hadn't it? Like 15 years? Uh, I I don't remember.
1: Something like that. And me and you, despite being (laughs) ardent Western fans and purveyors here of the genre, uh, had not seen the show before this movie came out.
0: I think Tyler said early in the year we should all get together and watch a a show together. Uh, We strongly agreed it should be Deadwood. I think we both got through the first season.
1: Yeah, uh, and I got I got about halfway <laughs> through what the problem really was, it was just the time frame was not good for a lot no. of us. I think Tyler was the only one to finish it out of like all five of us who started. <laughs> yeah, and he really fell in love, which was great, and it's his uh, you know, praise of the film that really lands it on our list here. As far as for conclusive entries to uh long-running series go in movie forms because we had several of those this year because there was also the breaking down yeah, movie el camino. And, and the Downton abbey movie as well that came out this. that's day. right yeah uh but this was really the only one that really kind of uh i think made an impact on the base in a significant way you know the el camino one got lots of praise like, like lots of people watched it but it kind of really fell off the map like a week afterwards yeah
0: yeah absolutely um this one is interesting because series creator david melchia he he got alzheimer's while they were shooting so oftentimes Mm -hmm. he couldn't even be on set so it's just a really beautiful thing at all that we could feature this and that he ended up getting something made with his complete vision i mean i can't even imagine the pain of having alzheimer's when you're finishing Mm kind of like your signature life's work
1: Right. Well, and it's it's just so wonderful that the fans as well get this major closure now to the series that they really loved and is one of the more prestige series of the last twenty years. Um and I'm sure there's a lot of cocksuckers in this yeah. too. <laughs> And that's and the thing to say as well is that we all were loving the series when we were watching it. When me and you dropped it, it wasn't because we lost interest. It was literally a time constraint issue and we just didn't have time to make it. Because we also made the bad planning of like, oh, let's watch this before the movie comes out. And we had to watch like all three seasons in like a three week time span or something
0: i think i have like two festivals going at the time and you were busy with other things and it was just a lot it was just to it was put in
1: there it was not reasonable at all to try and do what we did and i'm amazed tyler was able to to get it done and get caught up for the the film to come out and we didn't want to watch the film without having watched the whole context of it so we just yeah we put the rest of the series on the backboard and said we'll get to this uh you know i would, we will though yeah i mean i will yeah I think I think I will eventually too, but it might be a little longer because I'm going to want to start the series from the beginning again.
0: Tyler also gave this 10 out of 10 on the site, so it's one of our highest reviewed films within this list. So yes. it has to be in here.
1: And I think it's important to note as well that uh, Kevin, our you know main TV guru here, he has already seen the series before and was kind of the one who encouraged us to go through this journey and saw the film as well, gave it significant praise in the same categories Tyler did. And so that's really, uh, their they're pushing for the film here really lands it uh, onto our list. And as well as to represent some of the great TV that kind of came as well. I think it's important to note that here from the past year that we had some great TV stuff. And I think Deadwood's a good representation of that.
0: People say they want a Western and we're like, all right, let's, yeah. make, let's make it happen any way we can.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I think me and you are just happy to have a Western of some kind on the list here. <laughs> you know what I'm really happy about? I know, you're really happy about the next one, so I'll let you say it.
0: Number nine, Rocket
1: Man! Yes, me, me and you, we loved Rocket Man, which I'm very yeah, happy I, about. Yeah,
0: I adore Rocket Man. I, I was in tears half the movie. I I love that it's really fighting for people with addiction, that it has something to say. Uh, moreover, that it's just a great picture about Elton John, and that Taron Egerton really does a great job as him.
1: I, th- I think it's kind of... Uh, you think it's unfair for me to say that this film is the one that's affected you the most out of all these? Not necessarily the the best movie, but I think it's had the most impact on you this whole year. I don't think I felt anything as
0: strongly as I felt about Rocket Man. I mean, it could be my number one if I kept watching it, but uh, I really adore this movie. Um, it has a great new Elton John song that just won at the Golden Globes. A surprise to us both, I think, that Egerton won, but now it's not just me. Yeah. Now there's a fake Hollywood foreign press that actually likes something. <laughs>
1: No, I, th- I think it's a. Uh, I you know I loved it certainly as well. I'm surprised that he won just because it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's not a film I would expect to win, but considering Bohemian Rhapsody won as well in the last mm-hmm. time. I mean, anything goes at this point really, and this is so much more deserving.
0: I think that's part of the story, is that Bohemian Rhapsody's win is due to this director, Dexter Fletcher, who stepped in and kind of righted the ship after Brian Singer was alleged of a lot of shit and had a lot of family issues. Uh, I feel like Dexter Fletcher is the victory of that, and any good thing in that, you can tell he learned from, and he adapted into this, because Rocketman has everything that BoRap does going for it, but also a good performance. It's not just horse teeth. Well, so.
1: And I like what it does structurally with the kind of musical biopic thing as well here is that yeah. it, it makes it more fanciful and incorporates the songs again i think we said before when we did the podcast on this one it's like it's custom built to be adapted into a broadway show immediately after uh and that's I mean, that might be even by a design thing as well from elton john's production company who funded the film as well like i think he's really piggybacking off of the financial success that's going to come from this which is which is <laughs> yeah. smart i i admire that <laughs>
0: It was sweet seeing him and Topin go up on stage, and that's the first award they ever won together, which was really nice. They never won a Grammy together, and it was
1: just that's crazy. It's oh, because I know let's do something. <laughs> I mean, Elton's won an Oscar, I think he won, but that yeah. was with a uh, Tim Rice for the yeah. Lion King. Lion King. Thing. So,
0: but with Topin, never won for for his major musical input. He never won an award, so it's really. Oh, and that's
1: an important important thing to acknowledge as well is that Elton John. You know, is exists because he has that partnership with Bernie Toppin, uh, and if that, which is
0: great in the movie too.
1: Yeah, and the movie certainly emphasizes that and their their important relationship together. But I think because of John's name, uh, often that recognition goes under you know notice there. So it's nice to highlight that and to see them uh, receive that together is great. And I'm I'm so elated as well that we get to represent Rocket Man here on our list almost solely because me and you love this one so much and that's why it's kind of <laughs> hanging out closer to the bottom here but uh you know well,
0: it's it's another 10 out of 10 on our website we're not gonna let it go um yeah. <laughs> there's there's a thing for me with the with the recovery base in it too where i think it's brilliant he comes in as a devil and well the most important thing anyone ever said to me in recovery oh, i'm getting choked up saying it but uh that we're chipping away everything that you weren't to find out who you really were so uh as he removes his layers he gets real with his recovery and finds out, you know, who he actually was. And then the theme of the song is I'm all love myself again and just getting there, man, it gets me choked up just thinking about that. Yeah. It's beautiful.
1: There's definitely some, some greater uh visual theme going on there as well. Like you said with the costume. I think that's a brilliant thing that people might overlook there. Uh, the only thing really holding it back is some of its commitment to the biopic formula, but I know that's something that doesn't necessarily bother you. You're you're kinda all in on that.
0: Um, I don't I don't mind the biopic formula. I think there are only so many ways to tell people a story about a person. Uh like I love biographies anyway, and if they're close to a biography I'm pretty on board with it, I guess.
1: Yeah. It's just some of the ways it hits the beats and I know like the first yeah the first bit with the childhood stuff isn't quite as compelling until Taron comes on screen. Uh but really, that's, that's the only complaints like I, I can find with the film, and I think it's just very delightful overall. The songs are really great, and they have a new uh, sound to them, while still being very distinctly the same ones you remember and sing along to. And, Even the
0: childhood stuff, like when we get bitches back, I think it's, oh, just it's a, a, such a fun time.
1: Well, it is, because it's such a fun song, and that's what first transports you into the the, the the world there, where you go back in time, really. It's really wonderfully done. I'm, I'm excited to watch it again sometime. Uh, I'm sure you'll buy a copy. Have you already done that?
0: Uh, well, I got it for the screener, so I don't, I don't need to yet, but I I go a plan on it eventually.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. I'm glad it's here on our list, and I know you were super happy last. Uh, oh, when I was running at the Globes.
0: I just want to say the moment that I really knew about it was when we got to the Saturday Night's Alright for Fighting, oh, yeah. and we're going through like that circus ground, and we're getting these really innovative transitions. Well, it's and all done in one we're seeing,
1: take as well, where yeah. they go through the fence and everything, and it, and it really is like, these these songs are like transportations to a musical world every time they happen.
0: And we're seeing kind of Dexter Fletcher's background. This is a movie that he's wanted to make for a while, because he's done like Sunshine on Leith, and then which is a great musical, and then he went on to uh, yeah, of course, Bow Rap to save that project. But now he wants to do a David Bowie. So let's fucking let him. That would be great.
1: Oh, and I, and I think we're also, we need some better musicals lately i think we yeah. were we're conditioned by disney musicals to just like the same kind of poppy stuff over and over so it's nice to see something like this come up
0: yeah i mean it can't just be la la land there has to be more out there
1: yeah well it's like one in however many and you know
0: yeah number eight uh speaking of rocket man in space <laughs> uh, what do we have there
1: we have a uh, ad astra at eight do we do this on purpose so we can make that corny transition
0: yeah, I think that's the only reason it's on the list. Uh, what do we have at seven? <laughs> uh, I think uh, I think Kevin's push for this really mattered as well, getting it in the list.
1: It was a little divided overall. You and Graham both were lesser on the film, but I know Tyler was also a huge fan of uh, Ad Astra. Uh, you know as well as um. Kevin. Kevin really solidified it though. He because he's seen it multiple times. Uh, but Tyler was a huge fan of James Gray in general. He's loved uh, all his films that he's made.
0: Yeah, you just watched all of them. So uh I I was surprised that he really loved the Walking Phoenix James Gray pairing. He said it's the best actor director pairing, which which I don't know, but I uh, oh, I'm glad that
1: he finds that in it. I didn't even remember you you said that uh, he said that, but yeah, I I kind of remember now cuz we're like uh we had a De Niro Scorsese film this year as well. What about that? Yeah, I
0: mean <laughs> there are a few others out there, but I think Two Lovers is supposed to be a pretty powerful film and Ad Astra feels like a movie that was made in the 70s with the modern budget uh, is, I think, the big hook for everyone.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is one of the ones I have not gone and seen, but I have heard fantastic things about the cinematography in general, regardless of you feel yeah. about the, the story or whatever else is going on there. Um, and, and the images I've seen really uh, attest to that. I think it does look very visually stunning and has a good shot for best cinematography of the year as well
0: i just think it's it's a weird movie like they measure miles per hour in space and why are they doing that in the future why aren't we going on to kilometers or something which we would really do but i i i don't know a lot it's not really hard science is it it's a i feel like it's a denial that anything else is out there in the universe and i i think it's kind of a downer but i'm glad that others like it
1: Mm mm-hmm ah did you find anything personally that you you really enjoyed from the film when you saw it despite your descent of it
0: uh i mean brad pitt's great as always yeah. I, I i don't really like the father son relationship i feel like it's a lot of floating in space to get to uh tommy lee jones which is uh i mean he's fine as a dad but uh i i just don't like this movie that much <laughs> oh i didn't i didn't like uh his last one uh what was it the the Lost City of Z.
1: Lost City of Z. That's what I'm, I'm, I've found with both of these here, because it was the same kind of issue with Lost City, that I see a lot of great pay- praise for it in certain circles, yeah. and then others are very indifferent to it. And it seems to be the same case here with uh, Ad Astro, where things are a little split, even on the critical side of things. It's not universally praised, and I'm not seeing it on many other uh, top ten lists uh, this year. No.
0: But not going to win awards, likely. Mm-hmm. Maybe for visual effect, we'll see. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm just glad it's here and we have people who love it. Again, I you usually love controversial films, so I'm surprised you're bowing out on this one.
0: Um, I think it really depends on why it's divisive, I guess. If it's like people are bored with it and that's the division, I I don't usually go for that. Uh, um, uh, if it's like people are disgusted, then I'm like, oh, let me go see it right, right now.
1: Right, right, that makes sense. So so like you like the opposite end of the spectrum, whereas this one has significant praise and then a circle of people who are just kind of like, eh. It's what it is. Yeah, it, If it's
0: either it's a masterpiece or you're going to fall asleep, that's not the division I'm looking for. I'm looking for High Life, honestly, which I didn't get on the list, <laughs> and funny. I sacrificed for this movie.
1: Because nobody else liked High Life here for the site, <laughs> like actively condemned it. You were you were the only one in support of that, and it was funny because we can go back on the podcast and listen, and Calvin's like, oh, I've got my best film of the year already locked down, and where is it? here? We're at the 2020, and it's not on our list at all. <laughs>
0: It, it stayed up there for a long time, but enough people didn't like it that it couldn't be representative of the site if we put it on here. Right? Um, well, I feel like that's a fair decision,
1: and I think Rocket Man ended up kind of taking that place in your heart very quickly after, so that was nice as well. <laughs> and I was more on board with that.
0: Yeah, I I I think the start of the year was so slow that when you get something of such magnitude from Claire Denis, you really want to proclaim man this is something special and revelatory although it's just really great
1: well that was that was the thing the ge- thing in general this year we found is that the first half of the year was just so like un- unnoteworthy it was so bad like even like I, I was talking about this with other people as well like the first big film to come out was in march with us and then that was somewhat yeah. disappointing and then like the first one to actually come out and be big and successful was once upon a time in hollywood hollywood oh, i would say okay. well because i mean Yeah, Endgame for, like, blockbustery more stuff, but if we're looking at end-of-the-year list things, like, kind of top echelon, nobody was considering Endgame at any point. Uh,
0: Rocket Man actually ended up being, like, within the top ten, or within, like, the top five or six new IP successes, so that's cool, but uh, at least as far as non-sequel-based movies go, that was very successful. Um, Yeah. I, I mean I just had like Woman at War, High Life and Rocket Man for the first set of the year. It was dead. Yeah.
1: Hopefully, uh twenty twenty doesn't quite seem the same, but uh I'm not sure what's what's on the horizon here of any particular excitement.
0: And then we got things like Apollo eleven and I was like, Okay, there's gonna be more space movies this year, you know. Yeah. We're gonna have more interesting journeys into space than just High Life, which which I think really turns space on its head. But uh I feel like uh Ad Astra's straighter, um, it wants to be scientific i don't think it has that value but uh uh it is it is existential
1: mm-hmm. well i'm glad it's here on the list and again more people from the site tyler and kevin certainly have a lot of pull here as you can see between this and dead uh deadwood
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it's good to have them represented
1: yeah but what do we have uh next here on the list
0: at number seven we have little women
1: Uh, And this is one that uh, came out here, like we mentioned, at the very tail end of the year. And so uh, a handful of people were able to go out and see it, but were happy enough with it, like gave it significant enough praise that it definitely pushed some other things that we had temporarily on here out. And it made its point. I think
0: it was just me, Graham, and Laura that had this. And uh, the main push came from Graham, I think, to keep moving this up.
1: (laughs) Mm-hmm. I know he uh was was impressed with it he had uh, like the, a couple films here on the tail end of the year that released you know shot to the top of his list
0: yeah um i i started with like an 8 out of 10 but the second watch i really fell in love with this it's about women owning their own story against like the premise of editors right like uh the editor in the book just wants her to write a romantic uh story where a woman ends up with a man but uh maybe she lives a different life and uh Joe March kind of has a different story to tell for her own, so it becomes punk rock in the way that it's playing with time and uh, doing the opposite of what women were conditioned at the time. And I mean, it's such a novel uh, adaptation of a book that's been done eight or nine times already. I actually, uh, like just just actually,
1: counted it's ten times. This is the tenth one. Ten times now. <laughs> yeah.
0: So we have a uh, yeah, we have nine other ones, and this one I think is head and heels just way above the others.
1: Uh, I mean, I can't say so much. I mean, I uh I the wish,
0: 94 one's real good.
1: I wish I could tell you about the the Catherine Hepburn one that, that happened before, but I haven't gotten around to that yet. I'm not a huge Catherine Hepburn fan, unfortunately.
0: Supposedly, that one's good. Yeah. Uh, but I don't have a lot on it.
1: But this one's obviously receiving a significant praise, as of lately. Of course, Greta Gerwig directing it. It already gave it huge clout. Big buzz about it before yeah. we even, uh, the, the camera started rolling. And huge casts, I know, you know, we all look forward to, with Saoirse <laughs> Ronan. Once we Meryl saw that Street, ensemble, yeah. Yeah, Laura Dern. Uh, you know, they got every significant actress out here right now coming in to to make a big i'd say splash.
0: i'd say most notable in the movie is florence Pugh. though she had an incredible year with like wrestling with my family or fighting with my family and uh what was it midsommar and then little women she she was incredible in everything oh that's three uh, uh,
1: big big splashes i'd say this year that's a uh, inc- incredible yeah
0: she she really defined herself to be like the leading woman of a generation if she picks the right projects so Uh, cersei ronan of course is on the face of it and she is great as joe march which is a legendary character that i'm glad she got to adapt but uh uh, timothy chalamet also kind of the guy that they go to and he's always at turns dating different members of the family or or not dating them and it's he's really interesting and he has a great dance scene
1: Mm -hmm. and he's certainly rising up to be the the significant young actor at the moment yeah
0: we have him in dune and then he just got cast in uh the bob dylan biopic which is oscar bait as hell
1: yeah oh that should be interesting
0: (laughs) yeah it should (laughs) uh little women fantastically photographed everything looks great the production design is immensely satisfying i have nothing i dislike about this movie actually uh i i'm in love with it really
1: (laughs) It's, it's a significant turn in your praise here from just having talked about Ad Astra, but I'm glad that... Right, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I'm glad that the end of the year didn't scare off enough people that they, we were able to go out and see a couple of these films and we can have them represented here on our end of year list.
0: I, I do want everyone to go see Little Women. Um, I don't know if it could have been higher on the list, possibly, if more people saw it. Oh, and that's, I, and that's part of the I, problem,
1: is some of these are just, they sit lower because they have such smaller representation because people weren't able to get to see them before the list had to be made because it came out on christmas yeah <laughs> there's
0: just the quote in the movie that really stuck with me i want to be great or nothing and this film is absolutely great it doesn't take any any shots it's it delivers on everything girl wanted to I, i'm so uh, infatuated with it really
1: it's great well, our, uh, our next entry here is also one from the end of the year. Came out right at the same time here on Christmas. At number six, we have uh, Uncut Gems. Uh,
0: so uncomfortable.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's everything I keep hearing is that it's just super tense. Everyone comes out of the movie like really shaking, which I didn't get the impression that it was going to be like that tense from the, the trailers. It seemed like it was going to be fun, if anything.
0: Yeah. Did you see, you haven't seen Good Time, right?
1: No, no, that was one I neglected. Uh, you know, part of the problem um, is is that it's, I know because it's an Amazon production, it's just on Amazon all the time and it's not going anywhere, so I, I put right. it way lower on the priority list, but all the significant praise it's given, it's on my list, I just, I've got other things that I'm trying to get to.
0: Well, um, we have the score from Daniel Lopiton, which is my first cue that it's not going to be easy art, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. One of Trick's Point never is one of my favorite artists. Uh, I saw him at the Crocodile here semi-recently, and and he plays with music on the stage like it's all digital but he started morphing the different songs and they became alive and they became new and i feel like that's how this feels in here like the music is lively and it it has some like sentience in the in the way that it's shot and combined audio visually
1: i I almost went to go see this one uh it was going to be on New Year's Day, but I just had too much stuff going on, then...
0: It's so uncomfortable. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it probably wouldn't have been a good film for the whole family, I'm guessing. No.
0: No, <laughs> not at all. Um, my wife had to stop watching it twice, so I've seen this movie three times almost the whole way through. Uh, I have a review on the site as well.
1: Um, mm-hmm, a great review for it, certainly, and it communicates how tense it was. Again, when I was editing it, I was I was like, oh, I was very surprised by by that notion. But, of course, the the big thing to highlight in it as well is the return of adam sandler in serious works again yeah
0: uh it's we had the Meyerwitz stories recently and it kind of cues off that in that it's a very jewish story i think anyone will tell you that uh just the way that uh howard Bratner's character plays out like in this strip on the new york city it's all about big money and he's making huge bets on uh on the celtics on uh what's his name uh kevin garnett who comes in and uh buy wants to take his big jewel that he got from a uh, African uh, country and it gives him power to go perform better in the game or some stu- superstitious belief but Howard Ratner takes that and makes a big parlay bet that he's going to perform well and it's all about chasing the big win and uh you really feel that I mean coming from addiction I really feel that sense and it it makes me really nervous
1: mm-hmm. I'm surprised you've returned to it so many times if it makes you so tense
0: i mean i like art that really challenges you too this is the kind of divisive thing i could like although it hasn't been divisive yet everyone's liked it
1: yeah do you think it's oh i mean i wouldn't say everyone's liked it there was those group of adam sandler comedy fans (laughs) that went in with the wrong impression
0: i think my adam my favorite adam sandler is still funny people because it's it's like the comedy ones but it kind of turns out its head it's like a this is the actor at the end of his prime and For the next 10 years he's just going to make bad movies and then he went and did that which i thought was hilarious
1: right well it's nice to see him bounce back and do some serious work now i know this is what everyone's going to want to see him do (laughs) but you know he's not going to because that's not what makes him the major money like he makes all those comedies because (laughs) it makes him money
0: he said on howard stern if if he doesn't win the oscar for this he's going to go make the worst movie you've ever seen on <laughs> purpose so that sounds like a, a valid threat uh, so let's give him an oscar or something
1: yeah i mean he i it sounds like he's fairly deserving of it based on the other competition this year not that he outshines everyone significantly but that he's in the same echelon
0: yeah i mean he's he's in the grouping which i think is the important thing here is uh this is valid and in the grouping it's better than good time which is a great movie already
1: you think it's better than good time i think that's interesting i'm i'm seeing its praises maybe like just as good but i haven't heard some people say that it's better yet
0: good time was also kind of nervous on the edge of your seat but i i didn't really connect with it quite the same way and uh, it really sold everyone on Pattinson, though, which I think is the importance of Good Time.
1: Right, it, it was really what showed that he could break through, break out of the mold that he was kind of cast in before.
0: And this shows the value of great directors. What, like, the Safties are able to do with, like, a Pattinson or an uh, Adam Sandler. If anyone wants image rehabilitation on their acting, go to them.
1: <laughs> who, who do you think they should do next?
0: Um, who do you think? Uh, who's really suffering lately? Um,
1: uh, uh,. I don't know. Uh, maybe
0: Kevin Kevin Hart. Give maybe. him a serious. Can we, acting can we role?
1: make Richard Dreyfus good again? I'd like to see that. Yeah,
0: I'd be okay with that.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I like Richard Dreyfus, but he's he hasn't done anything good in like forty years.
0: I mean, I would have <laughs> said like De Niro if it weren't this year. But there's you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. We'll get to him.
0: <laughs> yeah, we will. First, let's uh, get because, to our top five. And the Joker. Uh, no, no, whatever. no,
1: no. That is not our tough. That is not our fifth film. No. Okay. make sure 100% clear here Joker is not on our list is not here to, this year
0: <laughs> <laughs> why so serious what do we have <laughs> at number 5
1: at number 5 we have uh, Knives Out from Ryan Johnson
0: um, which is a very social movie I looked at it kind of at the end of the year the movies that most were emblematic of 2019 and I felt like Knives Out had a lot to say because it's an immigrant story and one about the immigrant rising up and. How you can find work and become something in America, uh, despite all the hatred and what's against you. So it's very valuable socially, I think.
1: It, it is. It's about immigrant uprising. I thought it was yeah. about a murder yeah. mystery.
0: I wouldn't say uprising, but it's about Ana de Armas, who is the... Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, God, how do I say it without spoiling it? Then
1: <laughs> uh, I don't know because that's, I guess, the thing as well. Here is that this is my most regrettable. I didn't go out and see this year. Okay, because so- I was, I was actually interested in this, despite my my tempered feelings on the Last Jedi. I like Ryan Johnson as a filmmaker. I think he's an interesting filmmaker, even though I haven't loved anything he's made yet. But this seemed like the most promising of anything, and of course, it had, looked like a great looking cast. Significant praise mm-hmm. from all our friends here on the site. And, uh, you know, it just seemed like. It, and it's the most successful original film, I believe, made this year. Like, that. Yeah. Uh, uh, that made the most money at the box office. I believe it was the most, uh, you know, of an original story and everything going on here. It's not adapted for anything. It's like, Ryan Johnson just made this all up, and that's great, and I want more of that, which is why I was, like, slightly disappointed to learn that he's making a sequel to this.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Um, well, I want to see more. I want to see more of Detective Blanc because yeah, Daniel I think Craig that's the, just does so much.
1: That's the big thing everyone wants more of Daniel Craig in the film because he was just so wonderful. I think we, from what I understand, he does like a, a foghorn, leghorn, like Southern accent thing.
0: Yeah, he does. That's, <laughs> that's great. I mean, that's the Kentucky Fried bit that comes in on the trailer. Uh, but that's but a, yeah, it really, it really is a story about immigrants. It's about this Marta Cabrera, who's Anna de Armas, and uh, she lives at this. Big mansion, and she's the maid. Uh, she's the number one suspect for uh, the murder of this uh, this rich storyteller who uh, tells mystery, mystery stories, oh. and his death is the final mystery for his family.
1: So, is it like a planned killing of himself? Like he he, he set this up? Or
0: I uh, I don't know if you want me to tell you. <laughs> okay, okay,
1: all right. I won't let you tell me, but it sounds like there's definitely some meta, uh, you know, murder mystery story things going on yeah. here. You know, that you definitely can see from old pulp novels and other similar movies and whodunits and such. So it seems like like it, it, it definitely feels birthed of a love of that genre already.
0: And, you know, I'm on my third watch of this as well, and I really enjoyed it more each time. I, I keep growing on it. Um, Even Daniel Craig, who I thought the accent was bad, and I thought there were some holes in the writing. Those kind of filled in as I went
1: you know i think people like daniel craig doing crazy weird accents he was like the best part of soderbergh's uh Logan lucky a couple of years That's back right. and he had that great southern accent there as well he was hilarious he's just transformative with that it's incredible uh that the british can do american accents so well and we we're just terrible at emulating them
0: right um well, i think it's just like cutting out the the flourishes on their accent you could lead to the american pretty easily mm-hmm. um I I feel like there's a but his is pretty Kentucky fried and deep south and well, uh, it's pretty affected too like it's not a real accent that right, someone would right. have it's like
1: well, it's, it's th- like
0: your imagination of what the south sounds like in a cartoon
1: well it's the same thing with the Logan Lucky one which is my immediate yeah, context yeah. where it's like there he's obviously doing like this ridiculous parody of it and he's doing a great job of it it's like hamming it up to the the ninth <laughs> degree or whatever
0: and it's it's just so sweet because uh, it's all this giant ensemble cast centered around christopher Plummer, who's the who's the mystery writer and did he replace uh, kevin spacey yeah (laughs) (laughs) and uh jamie lee curtis is really uh i think the best she's ever been in this so really a lot going here yeah wow yeah jamie lee curtis is fantastic
1: oh it's nice to see her getting a kind of career uh a revival as well after halloween uh
0: yeah this and halloween i think the best she's done so so no it's great
1: yeah i'm gl- glad to see her back in action because she is such a treasure and i hope to see more of her and things and of course it's a, just a huge cast in general this and uh little women and once upon a time in hollywood were of course the biggest ensemble films just you know this year we're really leaning into that lately it seems
0: yeah yeah there's some good ones and we still have a couple of those left so that's good uh three of them at least so.
1: yeah oh uh shall we move on to our next one we actually just mentioned it <laughs> Yeah. No, number four here is uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the latest, the ninth Quentin Tarantino film. Nine.
0: Uh, no, now we're getting into some stuff that you've seen.
1: Yeah. So. And so the all the rest of them here I've seen now. Uh, we got through everything that I didn't see. Hooray! But yes, number four here, Hollywood, and this one we did talk quite a bit about before. We talked a lot about Tarantino before because we did our whole director recap of him earlier this year.
0: Yeah, we ranked all of them, um, and uh, this I don't feel like this fared, fared as well as you would think for the way it ended up on this list, so uh, I feel like with time we've kind of grown and got warmer on this.
1: Yeah, so I obviously am the biggest dissenter of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on the site. Uh, I walked out of the theater somewhat let down, felt like it was a little mixed in its direction and message, but of course loved some segments of it. It was kind of just like a mixed bag to me of things. And I had a complicated, uh, feeling of how it looks at the, the history of things and the, the fantasy aspects of it and the, the man's stuff going on there. But over time, uh, as people have highlighted some of the greater aspects of it and kind of spoken to, uh, what the film does, you know, for thematic standpoint, uh, you know, as far as for the aging actors and also trying to recontextualize things and and give a new meaning to the the legacy of the the '60s and such, I've grown a little bit more on it in my mind. I haven't revisited it yet, but you know, by no means did I ever think it was bad, and I'm happy for its placement here on the list.
0: It's kind of fan fiction. It's kind of Tarantino fanboying out over an era of times. So I could see how you're not, you know. I don't think it's formally very exciting.
1: Well, it's not. It's not fanboying over a specific time in Hollywood like I was afraid Tarantino was going to do. Because you know, like '90s Tarantino would have just like referenced the shit out of this movie, and, yeah, and it would have yeah, been really annoying. But there's some things still that kind of rub me. Like I'm not a big fan of the Bruce Lee stuff still, and I think uh, the film doesn't uh, it doesn't necessarily have an obligation to. But I think it's dangerous to misrepresent the context of the manson murders to an audience who probably largely does not know what happened there uh but hopefully it encouraged them at least to learn some more on their own because i think that's an important facet of our uh u.s history that's uh, to know about that time specifically it's very encapsulating of something that happened then
0: and i think it especially says something about the movies that tarantino loved and grew up with and how he feels about 60s cinema that he wanted this trend to continue going this deconstruction of hollywood and uh you know and that that's played out in cliff booth and his partner here we get to see uh two stuntmen kind of at the end where everything's going over to europe and hollywood's deconstructed and movies are at a really tumultuous time right. in america uh so we get to see, like, the end of a Hollywood, but it doesn't end. Uh, it it goes forward, and it fades into a new era where this could continue, and there's Eurocentric movies made in America. And weirdly, it is his most Eurocentric, because we spend a lot of time just hanging out with them in the car, or living lives with them.
1: It is almost kind of very verite in lots of places. It's, it's such a hangout movie in many ways, like we compared to Jackie Brown and some is You're you're there to be with the characters more than anything and I think that's where the film is most strongest, especially with uh, Brad Pitt's character with uh, him there as a stuntman. He is he is the excellence of the film, I think, through and through. Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: I really like Margot Robbie, although she doesn't talk very much in this.
1: Yeah, but. it's again, it's, a, it's that kind of mm, questionable handling of Tate's character, because I, I think the thing that I admire is that whatever tarantino does in the movie he does with a hundred percent confidence he's he's completely sure in himself of what he's doing and i admire that even if i don't agree with with how everything kind of shakes out in the end i don't feel he's uncertain at any point which is extraordinarily admirable for him as a director and then we had a uh,
0: margaret quayley who really premiered the last year in stranger things in here and she's gonna have such a huge career
1: right it's a uh, ethan hawk's daughter right
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke's daughter. Right, right, right. Which is cool, having that overlap with Tarantino.
1: Right. And it is a, a kind of a little nice thing in there to have another generation kind of popping up in here. And she's only in it for a little bit. It's one of the Manson kids, but...
0: <laughs> Mostly, like, her ass hanging out of the car, and then her feet being dirty in the car, and then they're at the ranch and yeah. doing stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That ranch bit, I think, the is ranch- Tarantino's first first real shot at like horror movie making which is cool
1: well it feels like it and i think that's the strongest scene of the film because it really lays on the tension uh phenomenally and it's uh it highlights the the most interesting aspects i think as well that that was my favorite scene in the movie for sure
0: i think it's very interesting commentary too like this this place where he used to make work has now been overrun by these kind of z lots of like charles manson and they're doing all this weird stuff there and they've they've kind of hijacked the guy who used to run the ranch and well it does have uh, a commentary sorta,
1: it's a ghost town it's a ghost yeah you know it's like a haunted place of a bygone era at this point you know and it's being inhabited by <laughs> you know the, the coming evil or whatever is going oh. on i think there's something to be read into there though i'm not entirely confident what it is <laughs>
0: And then I feel like they used to make probably westerns about things like ghost towns there and then now it's become sort of the abandoned old western town that it must have been in the movies.
1: Mm -hmm. Or something similar to that. Yeah, I think it's just a very... It's a fun, entertaining movie overall. I think it's got a lot on its mind, though I'm not, you know, on board with all of it necessarily. But I know this was Jesse's favorite film of the year and I can't... I don't blame anyone who puts it here and I think it's going to get a lot of push in the award season here as well. Um, yeah, yeah, and I,
0: I, I feel very strongly that the Academy will like this movie, and well, of if they have a problem with Netflix, then I think it's a given that this wins.
1: Right. So if they're still going to push against streaming, then this is really their go to contender at this point.
0: Yeah, I mean, if Marriage Story, Irishman, etc. etc. aren't going to make an impact, this is pretty much a given.
1: Right. Well, and also they've got the foreign dilemma as well, which they oh, yeah. they won't they probably won't recognize as much as we'd like, which is our our next entry actually. Uh, number three, yeah. we, we have Parasite. From
0: uh, uh, He had the brilliant... Bong Joon-ho had the brilliant yes. speech at the uh, Golden Globes about we have to get over the one-inch barrier of subtitles. I thought that was so beautifully said.
1: Right, it's a, it's a really succinct and uh, striking way to kind of get at the people who are un- unwilling to... <laughs> make that transition and i i understand those people in some ways uh because of course i had to go through that myself but you did oh you know, yeah i think we all did at some point we had a, a we did i mean i did uh, did you not have a bias okay. against subtitles at one point in your life no never never
0: um, i i think i started with literature though i was used to reading my stories oh yeah I, I come from a literary background so.
1: so yeah so so calvin's a reader in fact he just prefer all movies to have subtitles is what he's saying
0: I do put subtitles on for everything.
1: <laughs> There's so many people I know who do that, and I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do that because I still find them, like, ever so slightly distracting. Uh, you know, it's just something. Not so much for foreign language films for me, but for, for English films, like, unless I really need to hear what's being said, a hundred percent. Like for Shakespeare films, I, I will put on subtitles. But that's like it.
0: It really pushed me having a kid that I, I'd have to watch movies almost silently, and mm-hmm. uh, just being able to read them and I don't know that's where I was really able to like pack in a lot of films and kind of led me to this point.
1: Yeah, well, I know, like I said, a lot of people did that. uh, I know watch with subtitles, and there's no reason not to watch more foreign movies. I think there is more than a subtitle stigma that goes on towards them. Yeah, I
0: think there's a lot of things going on. I think there's racial issues, there's classism. There's a lot of things that this movie comments on, actually.
1: Yeah, and it's actually a lot of it deals with it. And I think uh, what's kind of most striking about it, and I think what most American audiences will be struck by, is how... Affecting and not so unrelatable, the film really is not only from a thematic standpoint, but also just a filmmaking and uh, cultural standpoint. There, that this is the idea that there is uh, similarity in the interactions and how we as people act. And I think it, just watching more foreign movies in general opens you up to the world in ways that you know our isolated state as a country doesn't typically allow for.
0: And they're not really different. I mean, it's it's just a different place um, yeah. in a different language. Uh, but the whole the whole premise is against capitalism, so of course it it might apply better to Americans. I don't know quite how it applies in South Korea, but um, I have a feeling that this strongly feels like an American film anyway. Uh, it, I've been comparing it to Gatsby all year, obviously.
1: Right, right. I'm not entirely sure where you get that from, uh, but I, I get what you're getting at there. And especially in terms of the prestige of the film, this is quickly becoming the most uh, noteworthy and praiseworthy film in uh, the boom of new South Korean cinema. Uh, Even
0: if it's just in the sense that we had a great American novel that like signified like a shining light for like a, what Americans could do in the novel space, that that this shows that South Korea has reached a peak, where we're taking it very seriously as an art, and, like, this is the one big movie.
1: Currently, it certainly is. I mean, it won Cannes this year. I think it's on track to win best foreign language film, at the very least, uh, at the Oscars.
0: (laughs) That's guaranteed, I think.
1: I I don't know what the competition is otherwise. Was it Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I think, is the one notable one? No. Not not much?
0: Well, it's weird... So the way that they do it at the Oscars is different than any other category. For a foreign language, a country can only have one good film. So uh, so France chose Les Mis, unfortunately. Oh. Uh, so it doesn't really have any competition.
1: Well, I mean, that's just another reason why the Oscars are kind of a joke, isn't it?
0: It's so it's such bullshit that France could only have one good film because they had three of the best films
1: this year. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. But, you know, yeah, Parasite, I think, is a shoe-in for that. And it is really this... Uh most notable film of the korean new wave which has been building for the past 20 or so years and of course south korean culture in general right now is booming all over in the yeah. category
0: and it shows that you get this range of actors that have really developed already like uh, of course he's worked with uh several of them already in his films and uh man that's just such a great ensemble cast that that really transcends race and transcends language and you see the performance and it's real it's
1: highly entertaining i think uh you know i didn't think about this at first when i watched it because the first half is so much lighter than the the second but it is really probably the best thriller this year i would say um yeah and even though i'm not a huge fan of that transition i think i could come to like it more knowing it's coming the second time around i still got to see it again for sure Uh, But I was happy to see it in theaters, and I enjoyed myself very much with it, even though I disconnected with the film at a certain point.
0: Yeah, I saw this uh, early, and then I saw it in theater, and then I saw it on screener. I really enjoyed it each time, but the first time it was kind of disconcerting when it made the switch. I could understand it.
1: Yeah, and I I do believe this one made your uh, top list of the Seattle film critics' uh, film.
0: Uh yeah, we chose this as our film of the year, which I think it and it sends a good message. Yeah, I like that we chose Romo last year and Parasite this, because uh, that shows what we represent and diversity in our choices.
1: I think it's. I, I think I agree with your assessment there that it's the most representative film of twenty nineteen. Um, so
0: we start. We said already that us kind of kick started the year. And that was kind of about classism and people locked away in basements and what the upper and lower class kind of said about each other. But then this came and I was like, oh, this is how you really make that movie.
1: Right. It, it has a lot of the same ideas, even the kind of locked in the basement, lower class versus upper class kind of things, almost in a literal sense. Uh, but it's just, I agree, it's so much better executed and also just highly more entertaining. Uh, us and- just just fumbles so much despite being great in many aspects.
0: And I feel bad, but because it seems like people are expecting this now for the American to say Parasite's is best movie, but it might be my favorite. I mean, Memories of Murder is also a 10 out of 10 any day for me, but yep. uh, I've just seen that film. I think Mother is exceptional.
1: Oakjaw's a piece of shit, but <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm glad <laughs> this okay. one is great. It's <laughs> a nice bounce back from Oakjaw, that's that's for <laughs> sure. Uh, And I I appreciate the more nuanced handling of the commentary in the film. I don't know, maybe he felt like, uh, we Americans here, we needed a little bit more uh, obviousness in our text, which I can understand. Uh We seem a little dumb, I'm sure. but i think uh, i think the way that people responded to this shows
0: there's space for smarter commentary well that's the that, uh, i think the big thing even is even if the literal even if the literal image like that switch you're talking about doesn't yeah. matter i think the metaphorical context of what
1: that is now, is much more important it definitely works still and i think the biggest thing that i'm extraordinarily happy about with parasite is the is the waves it is making here in america yeah. and it is opening people uh, our audiences up to more uh foreign films and hopefully they go out and see these more it was it's the most successful non-english language film i think in a long time
0: did you see the parasite party before the golden Globes?
1: i did i did see a couple of clips of them they seemed so <laughs> wonderful i th-
0: i think it was the twitter meme for the moment was like uh here's like you know one of these actors here's uh let's say, like, here's Bong Joon-ho, and then his fan, and it would be, like, Scorsese or Brad Pitt. Oh, yeah, Brad and, Pitt. Uh, I saw
1: him shaking hands with uh, Kong Ho-sung, which was yeah. really great.
0: And they just wouldn't name Brad Pitt. I think that's the new <laughs> meme, is that they're saying, here's the real actor, Parasite is the real representation. Mm-hmm. And these other guys are just fans of this. Uh, God, I love this movie. It, it has so much to say. I Last time I watched it, I picked up on all these really great transitions that I didn't even get the second time.
1: That's really great. Uh, I think it is some of the best filmmaking this year. Probably uh, the best direction uh, you might, <laughs> I, might argue as well.
0: <laughs> I love small stuff like when the girl throws up in the toilet and then it comes flooding out the other side in the next shot, or or when the girl turns the page and then there's the big, you know, revelation about the pages, and mm-hmm. man, it's it's just so well constructed. And I read the screenplay of it; it's fantastic. You're making, I, you're making me excited to
1: go back and watch it again.
0: <laughs> Another thing where I think every part works, uh, except for that middle thing, like, a 10 could still be imperfect to me. It still has that flaw, I agree, where uh, where there's that turn in the story, and it turns way too sharply.
1: Do you think it turns too sharply? Because I think, I think that's been my... I think so. I think that complaint of mine has been railed against by many people, which I can see. No, I agree. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I feel a little but, vindicated now, then.
0: <laughs> it... I totally agree and validate your point, but it doesn't hold me back any of my love for it. I, I feel like it's a necessary thing to move the story, but it it is way too sharp, I think. Mm-hmm.
1: Just a little bit more build-up, I think, would have helped me feel better, but uh, again... Or,
0: <laughs> or for a film that so seamlessly transitions, just some like more smoother move into this thing, but instead it's like a knock in the head.
1: Oh yeah, maybe a necessary knock in the head, but it did. Yeah. it did jostle me a little too much, and I got taken out of the film... A bit afterwards and that might be on me more than the movie itself but i'll only know I, once i see it again
0: i don't know if i want to say this <laughs> <laughs> I, okay i don't like the actor that's locked down in the basement that's i think that's my problem with the whole thing uh... I, I don't re- i don't like him hitting his head against the thing i i think it's uh you think i you wish could... i liked him
1: okay okay well i mean maybe you'll condition yourself to like him eventually <laughs>
0: I mean, I'm on my third time. I, I I like him less, but I love everyone else in the movie. So they're it's they're okay. wonderful.
1: It's a great cast. Again, we talked about great ensemble films this year, and this is potentially the best of them all.
0: It's just like when he gets out and he's talking about maybe North Korea will send missiles if I hit this button. I, it was just a little too much for me. But uh, everything else is perfect.
1: hmm Well, let's move on then to our number two so we work our way up the list here. We're, we're coming close to wrapping up. Uh... I think the one that we had the most glowing success of, uh, on the podcast here at least, was uh, The Irishman from Martin Scorsese. I think we talked about it in at least eight or nine episodes. We've had to talk about it a lot, and I think it's largely because it's one I've, I did go out and see when it was in theaters, and I just wanted yeah. to talk about it a bunch afterwards, and I insisted on mentioning it in every podcast, and every time, oh, Irishman's still relevant in the news right now, I guess we could talk about it again. <laughs> Well, I
0: think for three different reasons. I saw it really early, so I had a month lead where we wanted to keep talking about it, and then you saw it and were str- strongly moved by it, and then the rest of the staff saw it, and then we had the uh, Scorsese versus Marvel thing, so it kept finding ways into every conversation.
1: Yeah, it was it was relevant to discuss at almost every turn, and I wanted to take every opportunity I could to talk about it. <laughs>
0: and and as such a great fan of De Niro and Scorsese together, man, this really
1: that's really just icing on the cake for the year it does it does feel like this perfect cap to to both of their legacies in many ways in not only how perfectly it replicates the feeling of their partnerships throughout the years but also how it really goes in a different direction with them as well and one that is imbued with this greater sense of awareness of their time together and time in general and uh you know forthcoming death you know, it's a huge theme of the mm-hmm. film towards the end. The last act of the film, in particular, is just is some of the best filmmaking of Scorsese's career.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. It's very smooth and well made. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's like any slide on like Raging Bull or something. No, but I, no. I I think it's a. Uh, I think it's the strongest directed vision of the year for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, it's. And, you know, I think the biggest praise I can give it as well is that for a a three-and-a-half-hour film, it never feels like that. I was nervous going into the screening knowing that there was not an intermission for the film, and I was seeing it in a theater with with no uh, breaks. Did you have to leave? No, no, which is shocking because I had to, like, earlier in the year with Avengers, which is a whole half-hour less. I had to get up during that one. But I knew I'd have
0: to send a text halfway through, so I ran to the bathroom once, but uh, I caught up on Netflix and everything.
1: Yeah, well, and that's the nice thing as well. What's, what's such a great thing about it is that it's uh, you know it's available for everyone to see through Netflix, and I and so many more people are seeing it because of that, which is wonderful. But I tried to tell as many people as possible to go see it in theaters because the epic mm. sense of the film really only uh, it felt so much greater because I was seeing it on such a great screen.
0: I just think it's so smart that he finally went to Netflix and made this big move that it feels really <laughs> it feels really suggestive of where the future is. I think we needed Scorsese to go make this movie for Netflix cuz I think that's going to define the next like 10 20 years of streaming. Well, just this one movie really changed the tide on conversation and general audience feeling
1: and we've seen other big filmmakers kind of come Soderbergh's been making films exclusively for, Netflix yeah, yeah, yeah. for a bit and so has uh Baumbach. but you know when you yeah. get a, a real giant like Scorsese coming in then you know the tide is really turning
0: yeah because now we have like well we have like David Fincher and we have like this big Sissy Kane story coming in uh we have Spike Lee coming next year we have all these uh diverse LGBTQ films um there's so much going on the next year for netflix and, yeah. well, and the- having this paired with marriage story and dolomite and uh what else did they have they had so much this year
1: they had a, a great amount this year that was really the some of the most praiseworthy stuff to come out and like we mentioned yeah. it's going to be hard for the academy to ignore netflix now because they did <laughs> yeah. make like some of the best films of the year uh I and mean, just in if, general if- they've i was gonna say they've if been- you
0: ignore this then you're just ignoring what's happening in cinema
1: yeah you can't ignore the fact that netflix is becoming the the giant in the business right now and not just for big filmmakers but they really have such great diversity across all boards and i mean of course even for someone like me who doesn't go see new films i got a goddamn orson welles film last year
0: <laughs> yeah which was our film of the year last year so um i think netflix doing a good job for us they got first last year second this year
1: Mm -hmm. but first uh i think we we're kind of all in agreement on first here that one that really kind of stuck out as the most uh interesting and new film uh, of the bunch would be robert egger's uh, the lighthouse
0: yeah our number one film of the year because it is god this (laughs) i couldn't even talk after i went to see this movie i had to like sit on it for a few hours to even come up with a feeling on it
1: it was that was my similar feeling as well and i'm usually the person who bothers everybody immediately about what their immediate (laughs) thoughts are coming out of a film right and i'm always right away telling everybody what i want to say about a movie and i had to spend a good while pondering over this one it was was Uh, a lot to take in
0: I watched it again with my wife, and she's still in that phase, and it's been two weeks. Uh, I, I always feel like when you listen to, like, pop music on the radio, like, right, and you like it right away, there's probably not very much to it, but, uh, there's, when there's something really strong and powerful in a movie, and you have to think about it, I think there's really something there, and I don't even
1: know if I found out exactly what it is yet. Uh, you know i was I was struck by so much when I read more about the film and looked into some of the things going on, how much influence went into it, not just the the immediate and obvious uh, references of Melville and uh, yeah. Lovecraft and such, but some of the more artistic portraits as well, uh, when Laura pointed out the uh, Prometheus uh, image used for the final shot of the film. Uh, right. I was I was very struck by that because it was already a very striking way to end the film, but to know yeah. the artistic reference point for that as well and what that brings contextually to the film, give it even greater significance.
0: Yeah, it's just fantastically constructed, and um, I know we've already said it, but for me, this is the best filmmaking of the year.
1: Yeah, and uh, of course, one of the big selling points of it is the the. Rare aspect ratio, Egger shot the yeah. film in, shooting on real black and white stock for the film, and it gives it this this older feel, and it's more authentic feeling for the story he wants to tell as well. And it, you know, I think that's a, a genius thing to consider as well, is that it, you know filmmaking is more than just you know the writing and the the camera you know the how the camera moves and the actors on the screen. There's a, so much of a technical side of it as well that gives it that extra bit of uh, authority that you really need.
0: I love it because it feels like you're in a Bergman island, like where Bergman secluded himself for his, you know, last years. It feels like you're living in that kind of headspace, that existential dread and distance from humanity. And, like, there's only these two men. Um, I mean, I think they're two of the powerful performances of the year, but they're also the only two performances in this film.
1: Right. Uh, There's a couple of obvious people here. Like, you got the the mermaid character or the people who first dropped them off, but they're not really... They don't really get it. So much. say anything. Yeah, yeah they're not. I, mean, I think
0: you you only count people with lines, right? Unless you want to count like the mermaid squawk, which yeah. by the way was the most terrifying part of the movie for me. I did not, I did not feel that
1: coming, and that really shook me up. It's it was just a really great descent into to madness, and I think ways that uh, we often. F- like get a sense of in some films but don't really witness in a way that was really uh, I think incredible and I know in in Graham's review he does mention how it starts already at a very high tense place but the fact that it only goes tenser from there is just you know it makes it really incredible to me it, it really brought it to some unbelievable and surreal places in many instances
0: and I know that Graham might I know Graham thinks that it doesn't finish off but I think it finishes off in the only way it could to leave you with that with that impactful impression, I think if it if it said anything more, then you wouldn't have to sit with it. I think it it never makes it right for you in the end, which I really appreciate and admire. Mm-hmm. It's
1: just uh, I'm I'm very antsy to get to it again. I know it's out on digital. <laughs> yeah. I've been putting it off, but I'm kind of hoping someone bought it for me for my birthday, <laughs> so it's I'm getting a blue a, coming.
0: <laughs> it's such a great looking film too. I mean, it was such a fantastic theater experience. Yes, it feels yes. good
1: i had a great time at the theater with it as well it was it was i think both of our most anticipated film for the year and yeah. the fact that it delivered on that as well is, is such a rarity i don't think usually our most anticipated ends up being the best
0: no i mean this year i think went exceptionally well for that having our top three here the lighthouse and uh what was the irishman I mean, and, and parasite, parasite. Mm-hmm. those were easily i mean i went through like our 50 most anticipated and some of the best stuff was on that
1: which is you know it doesn't always work it felt like a really phenomenal year in comparison to like last year which i i was wowed uh not nearly as much as i was this year this felt like a great send-off to the decades certainly and uh, we got so many uh fantastic films from some of our best working filmmakers
0: yeah um i yeah i feel really good about this this is a I, I think it's a good place to leave the year yeah. too. Uh, the do witch you, is really powerful, but this is special.
1: Do you have any uh, quick honorable mentions that didn't quite make our list that you'd like to highlight? Um, I
0: I'd have to look here. Do you have anything that you really enjoyed, or was this most of the stuff you saw?
1: I mean, I saw like like I th- I don't even think I saw ten films from this okay. year myself. But you know, I know there are many other films that people on the site uh, really loved that we kind of had to edge out here. Uh, you know, bookmark got lots of love for, for. It
0: nearly made it. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I know, Marriage Story was huge with some people as well, of course, and it you know it struck a chord in many ways. It was one of the more powerful dramas and performances of the year for certain.
0: I, I think I have at least five. All right. All right. <laughs> so, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, just because it hasn't really come out yet. Um, even at the time of this recording, it'll be five days after the release of this podcast. It comes out here. Uh, it's fantastic. I love that movie. Um, it it deserved to be the French pick, so I was sad they chose Les Mis. Uh, obviously, I have High Life, which we discussed. Uh, right. Non-fiction <laughs> was my other French pick, so my three French auteurs, i in this, is kind of making an Eric Romare film, which is uh, basically means there is no genre. It's just people living life. Mm-hmm. Um, 1917, I don't think enough people have got to yet. Uh, it probably would came made the out. list
1: if people had... A chance to see it i didn't get the yeah. same uh distribution as uncut gems or little women did
0: um mid-Somar, obviously marioch uh, or uh, jesse and i really loved so that that could have made an impact but uh yeah i think uh, just
1: lighthouse kind of wowed us more f- as far as horror film <laughs> yeah. goes that's the other nice thing about our list is that it's it's quite the spread of genre and uh representation here as well
0: i think so um i think that just about covers it i mean there's so many highlights like a mm-hmm. uh, Monos, I think, has the best score of the year. It has the Mika Levy score, mm-hmm. which is the Unders of the Skin composer, so obviously I'm all about that. Uh, Dolmite of the, Is My Name has maybe one of the best performances in Eddie Murphy. I, I could have had that in. Um, Honey Honeyland must be my favorite documentary. That and Apollo 11 are must-sees, but I don't
1: think they make sense
0: on this list.
1: Right. Well, I'm glad you made... We also have that documentary piece where you highlight all of them here coming out soon that people can look over... Uh, Lots of uh, recaps still for 2019 coming from the site here and leading into our 2020 content as well as our uh, decade wrap-up here that we're going to be looking at in the next month, which I'm very excited for.
0: I feel really good, and I think we covered mostly everything. I think uh, my parting words are go see Happy Death Day to you. (laughs) That's the only other one. (laughs) That's that's the movie I pushed for at the start of the year that everyone ignored, but... uh, I, is is I'm, another one you clung to because you're like there's something good in the beginning of this year <laughs> uh, it was another thing where Jessica Roth I think is just a perfect final girl or infinite girl in this case so uh, yeah go see Happy Death Day to you I, you won't regret it or maybe yeah. you will and then be sad when you get no third movie because <laughs> yeah I mean if that's the end of the trilogy that's fine it's sad that it has an open ending but I love Tree as a character so uh, maybe go see it yes
1: uh, thanks again, Calvin, for helping make 2019 special here. I'm glad we really knocked it out of the park this year, I think, both all right, coverage-wise so and just all the great movies we saw.
0: I also want to talk about Serenity with uh, Matthew McConaughey.
1: Uh, okay, we're done now.
0: I'm cutting it. Uh, so that's really special. <laughs> I feel like it's really cool how it blends video games and filmmaking...